Hey, Jan, welcome back to school. Hi, Yaniv. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure having you here, man. Uh, and you are no stranger to schools. You founded an academy. That is true, yes. All right. So that's what uh, we're going to, amongst the things we're going to talk about today, uh, you founded the Academy for Corporate Entrepreneurship. Is there a shorter acronym for that? Just uh, AFCE. AFCE. Perfect. All right. So you founded the AFCE. Uh, tell me the origin story. You, where did you get the idea and how did you make it happen? Okay. So I guess the founding story ties back to another organization called Founder Institute, uh, which is the world's largest early stage accelerator program from Silicon Valley. And I became director of the Munich chapter for this institute. And when we were running that program, which basically the premise was um, to decrease the failure rate of startups being launched, right? Um, as you know, you know, over 90% of startups fail within the first three years. Um, so the premise was to teach founders what founders need to know before and as they are founding their company. So a lot of people were coming into this program that hadn't yet started their company. They literally just had an idea, right? Um, an invention or some way to innovate. And um, the Founder Institute guides them through this process and gives them a lot of mentoring to try to improve their chances of success. And it was really by running that program that I was very surprised to see a lot of people coming in from, let's say, middle management positions of Fortune 500 companies, right? And they were kind of frustrated and annoyed that they weren't able to exercise their ideas um, within the organization um, when often those ideas did in fact relate to the organization, right? They could have innovated on behalf of their employer. And they were literally in this middle area of considering leaving the company and taking the risk and doing their own startup. And of course, that, that can be the right thing for many people to do. Um, but for many people, it's probably better for them to stay with the job security and everything uh, and, and continue working with, with their company. Um, but it was just this deep frustration that I sensed. And that really led me on this wild goose chase to try to figure out um, how can we do what the Founder Institute is doing for startups on the outside? How can we do something uh, for entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs who could actually innovate on behalf of the company and not leave their jobs and not take their ideas with them out of the organization? As you were looking at these people, was there like a type that you could say, you know, these are you know, potential entrepreneurs? Um, well, we could get into the whole personality discussion, but at, there is definitely a type. But um, at that point in time, no, I couldn't really identify it. Um, uh, what I could see from the outside was just, you know, they're willing to work hard. They were passionate about something, about an idea that they had. They're willing to take some level of risk. Um, so those kinds of things. And, and this program with Founder Institute, it actually requires you to invest about 30 hours a week on top of your day job, right? You're still doing your day job. I even have people in my program who they were having their second child during the semester and they still got it done. So obviously it tells you something about the, the work ethic that these people have. Right, right. The deep passion. It was 
burning within them. Yeah. And so what happens next? Did you bootstrap the whole thing? Uh, did you partner up with something? Were you doing this alone as a side gig? Like what was happening at that time? Um, yeah, I, I had been working for, for another startup for the last six years um, that kind of became a, a unicorn. Um, so I chucked in that job to focus 100% on my, my own entrepreneurial journey. Um, it was bootstrapped, um, so self-funded. I think the best form of funding is always getting your first clients, right, and have your clients pay for development. Um, so we were lucky that we got Allianz here in Munich, Germany, as our first um, real customer. Um, and, yeah, we went from there, really, and I started hiring a, a few people. Um, so I'm, I'm still 100% owner um, of the company, and we, we let our clients help dictate the direction that we should go in and, um, and fund us. Tell me about that first engagement with with Allianz like what what was that like I had to rely on my sales skills I guess <laughs> we were an unknown entity uh kind of trying to do something that hardly anyone had had ever done right in the corporate world yeah um so the way we entered Allianz was um I had a, a bit of a relationship with the guy running their external accelerator where Allianz is trying to partner with startups um, and when you do that, other areas of the organization start to look at you and, and sometimes they ask you for, for help. And he was asked by the HR department for help to run a or run part of a high potential program for future COOs in the Alliance company um, to be part of their training, to give them a bit more of an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so that's kind of how it went. And, and my pitch to them was really outlining our um, very mediocre curriculum at that point by by literally drawing a line on a piece of paper with 12 <laughs> dots on it and then trying to put labels to those 12 dots. And, and that was going to be our 12-week curriculum um, nice. for these entrepreneurs. Yeah. Nice. That, that is the entrepreneurial way, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's how you got to start and, and get your early adopters, right? Right. Exactly. So what did uh, what does an engagement with a uh, AFCE client look like today? Can you give our listeners a, a better sense of that? Yeah, so it can vary, but ultimately our mission is to de-risk the innovation journey that that client is on. Um, that could be at a corporate level or a departmental level or at a, a team level. And it would very much involve um, running one, two, or more, it could, could be in the tens of entrepreneurship teams through an internal startup accelerator type of process where you, you're often starting with, they have an idea, they, ha they have a rough idea or a problem that they want to solve. And our processes would help them to understand if they're actually solving a, a real problem for a real customer and can they do it in a feasible way that makes sense for the organization to actually implement so it can become, you know, uh, a sustainable and viable business model? Um, so helping them find problem solution fit, as you can call it, um, and then potentially progressing into a whole nother phase, um, which we call the incubation phase, and, and help them actually build out their solution and validate it in the marketplace by running real experiments with, with real customers. 
So I was looking at your website, um, the AFC website, and I noticed a really nice um, two-by-two matrix there with a title that I thought was super interesting that says entrepreneurship as an innovation strategy. And I guess that sort of ties back into, you know, the your initial, like the origin story. Um, and I'm curious to hear your definition of an entrepreneur, sorry, because I've, I've heard a bunch and uh, I'm curious to hear yours and also how does that translate into an innovation strategy? So I guess my definition is, is pretty simple. An entrepreneur is um, someone that acts or behaves like an entrepreneur, but within an already existing organization, right? So you know, starting a new organization, you're trying to be entrepreneurial from within an existing organization. That could be a, a non-for-profit, it could be a government entity, it could be a Fortune 500 company. But if you're acting like an entrepreneur and doing entrepreneurial types of things, um, but you're, you're, you're employed in that organization, then, then you can be classed as, as an entrepreneur. And uh, yeah, entrepreneurship as an innovation strategy, for me, entrepreneurship um, if you take it really right back to its roots, for me, entrepreneurship is innovation or it is how you get innovation. I mean, if you look at every company or even organization that exists today that has grown, let's say more than four people, five people, right? It exists because there was entrepreneurship in the very beginning. Um, and, and the definition, if you like, of, of entrepreneurship is uh, I think Bill Olay coined this from the uh, MIT, uh, the Entrepreneurship Center, is um, invention multiplied by commercialization equals innovation, right? So you, you had to invent something, i.e. have an idea, something new normally, and then it's the commercialization aspect or being able to commercialize something um, that was already around, but you're doing it now in a different way. And that's how every single company came into existence. Does but does in, entrepreneurship does it need permission? Because you know us in the innovation space, what we hear a lot and the sort of advice that we give a lot of people is that you know it starts at the top, right? If, if for innovation to be successful in a corporate environment, it needs to come from the top. Mm-hmm. Does an entrepreneur need permission, or does he just ask for he or she ask for forgiveness? Yeah. So I definitely believe the attitude should be that they ask for forgiveness, right? That's one of the rules. An entrepreneur never asks for permission. They go ahead and do. They try to prove themselves. And then later they, they beg for forgiveness, right? If they have to. Because if you ask for permission, you never get anywhere. Nothing will get done, right? Um, because entrepreneurship very much goes against the corporate immune system so there was this whole notion of if you're an entrepreneur it means you're a rebel you're going into work in the morning um, almost expecting to get fired right that was the attitude but and i think that's the right attitude to have on that personal individual level but then when we tie it back to okay can we make entrepreneurship work as part of the innovation strategy where we're saying, okay, innovation is no longer just investing in R&D and things like that, but actually we've got to be more entrepreneurial in terms of how we're going about value creation, then it becomes a whole lot more 
complex. And there you're definitely right, I would argue, now with all my experience, that it's a hell of a lot easier if there is a board member, um, you know, fighting for this way of working or at least enabling it to happen. Right. Yeah. Sanctioning it or giving you, you know, some some guardrails or some uh, some needed support. Um I want to, I don't want to let you off the hook just yet because you've been in the trenches, if you will. And I want to get at this point. Um, It's, I think it's a hard sell entrepreneurship because like you said, everything within the corporate and everything within the corporate DNA goes against it essentially. So when you're an entrepreneur, you you basically have no, incentive for doing what you're doing for taking on that additional risk so if you're an entrepreneur yeah you know there's a sort of a clear roi there's still a lot of risk but it's your own company it's your own thing here you're basically taking on all the risk but what's the benefit what's the incentive how do you sell that within a company okay so you're talking about the benefit and the risk reward ratio at the individual level, right? Yeah. For the employee. So that's the interesting thing is these guys don't need an incentive because they're already partially hardwired, right? They want to work in this way. So we find when these people come into our programs and we, we try to filter them for the ones that have more of this entrepreneurial type of mindset, and we have personality tests that help us do that. Once they come in, they look back on that experience as, you know, one of the best things, if not the best thing that they've done with their company because it allowed them to be, act and behave as, as they want, wanted to or w- had wished for, right? So in, in a way, if you have one of our programs, at least for that period of time, you have been granted permission right? To, to be the entrepreneur and to safe space. explore. Yeah. It's a safe space. Exactly. Yeah. So you're fine with, so like my next question, you sort of answered it. Um, but I just want to sort of reiterate it. Not everyone within the organization needs to become an entrepreneur, right? I agree. So I'm a huge advocate that entrepreneurship and even entrepreneurship is, is not for everyone. It's actually for the very few. Um, if we are um, staying true to the definition. So, so what that means is a lot of companies allow people to participate, let's say, in innovation. And what that really means is actually that anyone can have an idea. And yes, that's true. That's fair. That's why we have these crowdsourcing platforms, these software platforms where people can submit ideas and an idea can come from anywhere and other people might be able to vote it up and vote it down. That's fair enough, but I think that's as far as it goes in terms of involving anyone in the organization in, in innovation. After that, it, it's about this journey, this perilous journey, right, where you can make a lot of mistakes along the way and where simply not everyone is cut out for it because you're dealing with a, a, an amazing amount of uncertainty. There's all of that risk there, Um and, and it, it's really hard. And a lot of people would just based on their personality would not find that kind of process enjoyable. Yeah. So, so these, um, the way that you're envisioning this, um, I'm thinking sort of a funnel 
where right uh, all of the organization can be at the at the at the beginning of the funnel, raise these ideas, but then they sort of funnel through, and these entrepreneurs are the ones that kind of uh, join these ideas for the journey, and I think ultimately become uh, champions for innovation within the organization. Was is that your experience? Um, yeah, they definitely can. Um, Bayer is a good example of that, who build up a massive network of, I think they call them innovation ambassadors. Um, and they kind of carry over then the mindset. And, and some of them have been trained even to, to become internal mentors to other innovation teams. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a, a knock-on effect. Um, but I think we, we also have um, data that proves or shows really, if, if you were to measure the entire organization, only probably about 15% in a typical workforce would have what we call entrepreneurial DNA, meaning they'd be a good fit for guiding innovation projects over the longer term. Assuming that you've by now probably trained a few hundred of these uh, entrepreneurs, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way and maybe uh, what are some of the more surprising lessons or findings that you've you've come across so we've definitely trained probably over a thousand entrepreneurs at, at different levels the more we do it the more i think we realize how complex it is to actually make everything work you know the the, the act of being an entrepreneur in itself definitely frees people right or in, can call it employee engagement it's something that they are the right people are very happy to receive um i think in the future could actually be part of a corporate's onboarding strategy for new employees uh, to really ingrain them into the company's innovation mindset i really think that's that's where this can go um so it's great on the personal level but in order to get the tangible results and make it more than just having hopefully a few nice projects in the pipeline, but to get to the point where if, if I can at this stage, you know, highlight buyer are just, just going public with some information now as a result of their entrepreneurship programs from the last three years, um, they now say that their programs have created over a billion euros of annual revenue potential that's incredible yeah that's like matching r&d efforts right and in some cases finding the next blockbuster drug but here it's been spread out over an entire portfolio and, and this is the difficult thing is that you never knew which ones would have been successful from the beginning so we had to invest in lots of projects in the beginning and see some um, die off some fast deaths some slower deaths uh, but keep pursuing and and enabling these teams and for me that's that's one of the biggest problems when it comes to implementation is that it's very hard to find people in an organization that can oversee and implement such a process because ultimately no one is responsible for a portfolio of entrepreneurship projects yeah right so that has to kind of be pieced together yeah. does it not does it not come from uh the uh, uh you know, top management, CEO, do they not have, does not tie into like the corporate strategy, the, the portfolio? Yeah, it, it should. 
and it can and it does until <laughs> that strategy changes. So we all know that innovation is a, is a long-term game, right? And the problem with these corporates is they're, they're often changing things. So as soon as a new CEO is appointed or also in Bayer's case, the recently the board member supporting innovation um, left uh, and they had to restructure everything around. I mean, luckily we, we'd made enough progress that we could actually transfer these programs into directly into the business units. So they didn't have to be managed from corporate anymore. But if we hadn't made the progress we had, um, that could potentially have killed off the, the whole approach. I guess this would be a good time to talk a little bit about uh, COVID before we wrap up. I, I feel like there isn't a podcast that I record today of, for the obvious reasons where we don't talk about COVID since it's on everyone's mind. Um, how has that affected your business? How has that affected your client's business? And what are you doing about it? What can others do about it? I know it's a there's a lot of questions in there. It's kind of loaded. So, uh, you know, feel free. Well, I might disappoint you a little bit because um, I, I don't believe COVID has affected us that much or our clients or programs. Um, okay. I can explain why. Um, yes, please. Because everyone's going like, everyone's listening to this is going like, what? Mm. Uh, so, yes. the, so the first thing is, we as an agency and how we implement our programs, we're already, you know, 75% digital. We're not always in front of the client running physical workshops. Um, that is only a small part of the program. We already have a lot of on, online content that's intertwined um, with our curriculum and how we work with teams and run experiments. So we were already using Zoom, I think five years ago, we started using Zoom, you know, to run our mentoring sessions. Um, everything is, is done on... Um, uh, Microsoft Teams or Slack channels and, and things like that. So, so we didn't have to adjust to, to anything like that. Um, we had already started um, working a year ago with mural boards. So even putting the stuff we would do in a physical workshop, um, making that digital, um, simply because very often our innovation teams, the team members are not in the same place. Uh, we've had teams that are actually spread across three different continents. So we, we had to learn how to, how to enable um, that. So, so that's one side of it. And I think the other side, why hasn't COVID really affected us is because I personally still see COVID as a relatively short-term thing. Um, sure, everyone's going to have to make changes and adjustments. Things have slowed down. So of course, the execution of our programs um, were paused, I guess, for a few months. Um, but then they were able to continue as our clients were able to, um, you know, have the headspace for this and, and get online. The fact that they were doing it from home, you know, wasn't really a, a big issue. Um, but when you look at what are you trying to do with innovation, uh, most of our pro most of our programs are more to the disruptive scale. So we're, we're solving problems that clients have identified that could impact them over the the longer term, two, three, four, five years, and not how should we innovate in the next three months, right? That's, we're just not approaching that, which, which is what I would call very incremental innovation. Um, so we, we've got to be careful here, maybe how we define and talk about innovation. Um, but for us, at least, it's very much not about idea generation because often the client already has pinpointed what ideas they want to work on. We just help them validate, is that the right thing to work on? 
And I can imagine maybe a lot of my other colleagues in the innovation space, you know, do help with that ideation area, um, design thinking principles. But we, we take it much beyond those steps, I guess, to go more into the lean startup and, and de-risking and then building out the solution. Yeah. So cool. But before we wrap up, if people want to know more about uh, you and about uh, the Academy for Corporate Entrepreneurship, um, maybe get a better sense of those uh, digital courses that you mentioned, what's the best way to do that? Thanks, Yaniv. I'm, I'd be amazed if anyone wants to find out more about me personally, but I, th I think the Academy would be much more interesting. So I would definitely direct them to um, afce.co, C-O. Um, we're not Colombian, we're a German company, but we use the .co. <laughs> and there's a lot of information there also about the online courses. Um, I'm going to change the website in a few months as well because we're just now opening up our entire digital library. Um, there's going to be over 200 um, learning objects that we're using to customize digital courses for companies. Yeah. So that might be one way how COVID has affected us a little bit as well, to be honest, to uh, a little bit of a pivot for ourselves to, to put more of the digital content out there. Um, or yeah, just write me an email, yan at afce.co and happy to share some, uh, uh, I guess if you write in and mention this podcast, uh, there's definitely some free content I'm, I'm willing to share courses or Ooh. have a go at our entrepreneur dna tests if you like to do that um normally we're of 200 euros so why not if someone sends me an email i'll let you do it for free see if you have entrepreneur dna i appreciate that jan thank you so much for being on the show it's been a great honor and pleasure thank you so much for having me Yanif. take care